All right, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 12, and uh, we're going to continue there today in Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Look forward to Easter Sunday. I know that um, it's probably not appropriate to pray that it won't rain. I don't know. God's in control of such things, but I hope that we'll be able to uh, do what we hope hope to. If we do, bring lounge chairs, camping chairs, whatever you're comfortable in. We will put some chairs out, and we'll be uh, communicating with you throughout the week so that you have the um, opportunity to know like what's going on, but uh, if it's if it's off or not. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 12, it's uh, we've been singing t- this morning about God as Father, and uh, one of the things that we'll see is like a good father is involved in the discipline of his uh, children. And so turn there with me, Hebrews chapter number 12, and we're going to begin at verse number 5, and there the scripture says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Father, thank you for uh, giving us your word. Thank you for giving us uh, uh, a way of understanding what life is is about, even when we go through times of difficulty, that God, we can see that there's a purpose from you in it. And I pray that you'll use your word in our hearts today, God, to challenge and convict and uh, to open us up to live the life that you have intended and purposed for us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever noticed this with people? I'm sure you have. You've probably even noticed it with yourself that we bristle when we're told what to do. Like it's difficult to live under submission to other people, and yet it, we have to do it all throughout our life in every situation of, of life. But there's something in people that when we are told what to do, we do not like it for some reason. Maybe the impulse that arises inside of us initially is, you don't tell me what to do. Isn't that what people are like? My dad uh, had a word for that. He called it being hard-headed. Like when I was a kid, he would say, you you know, you're hard-headed. Behaviorists call that psychological reactance. That's the uh, phrase they give to the idea that we don't like being told what to do. And there's a response in people that, we feel as if when we're being told what to do, someone is trying to take away our self-autonomy. And so it registers often with us as a threat, but in reality, it's the path to self-sabotage to go, you don't tell me what to do. 
Because what we'll see, I think, in this passage is that God, as a good father, corrects his children. He loves us too much to not correct us and to introduce training. That's really what we are. What we are, our identity is we are disciples. A disciple, by definition, is a learner. And so when this passage talks about chastening, really we should think of that in terms of training, that God is training you to be the person he wants you to be. And sometimes it will take the form of correction, difficulty, and how we respond when things are difficult is our discipleship pathway. And so when we see how God is at work, and maybe what this passage I think helps us to see is that God is at work around us and through our situation all the time, but we just don't always recognize it for what it is. We don't see that our difficult circumstances are where God is trying to mold and shape us into the kind of people that he wants us to be and that he can use. And so this passage I don't think is saying necessarily that God orchestrates difficulty to correct us, but because life is inherently hard, why not learn from life when it's hard? Why not make the most of it? Why not understand what God is doing? when Because th- how often is it that life feels complicated, difficult? It feels like you're in the middle of something that you wouldn't have may- maybe chosen for yourself. Often, right? Life often feels that way. And so I think in this passage what we can see is that God wants to use those times just like he does the really good times in our life. This is from one of the early church fathers, Philo. I guess it's Philo or Philo. So profitable, he says, a thing is some sort of hardship that even in its most humiliating form, it is reckoned a blessing. But that's not how people tend to look at difficulty. We don't go, man, I'm so glad things are this way. But the the early church father recognized it's just as likely, maybe even more so, that when you can't, when life feels very hard and difficult, that that is exactly what uh, where God can train us and shape us. We don't feel that way about difficulty. We just want it to go away. Sooner the better. But the Bible shows us there's a relationship between hardship and the good that God wants to do in our life. There's a relationship between hardship and the good that God wants to do in our life. So when we look at this passage, there we're just going to see four ideas about what God's correction means. What is this passage teaching us about God's correction? Well, the first truth we see is that correction is training, which gives evidence of God's care. So when it talks about chastening, and then later it uses the word scourging, which is a more intense form of discipline. We need to think about ourselves as those of you that are parents, but even if you're not a parent, you had parents. And we think about what was it that they had in mind for us. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's hard to be a parent. We talked about this some earlier today too, like training and family systems. And But we, we think about what is God doing? You know, how, what does training look like? Because that's the idea in the word for you know, uh, correction in this passage, it, it has to do with the training of a child. That was the word. It was the idea of like, how do you train a child? How do you bring them up? How do you shape their life? 
And the Bible says, well, God is shaping our lives sometimes with a a firm hand. It feels like discipline in in our life. And it is, really, because discipline has the idea of discipling. I like how uh, one translation or paraphrase puts this uh, to begin with. The uh, The trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The trouble you're in, were they in trouble? Well, we've outlined how in the book of Hebrews... It was the the church in the first century in a culture that was very hostile to their beliefs and ideas. And so to be a follower of Jesus might mean death. It did mean death for some people. It might mean incarceration. It might mean the loss of a job. It might mean the loss of a family. And so, yeah, they were in trouble. And he says to them, the trouble you're in isn't punishment. That's not God's idea for it. It's training. God is using the difficulty that you're experiencing to make you like the child he wants you to be. And it's not possible to develop properly apart from God's tough love. We don't want it. We don't like it. But that's what the scripture is teaching us. We train children. Some people don't do it deliberately or well. But we're training them. God corrects us because we get misaligned. Why would God correct you? Because you're not where you need to be. You're misaligned. You're not obedient. And God, obedience is a big idea in Scripture related to who we are and our identity as followers of Christ. He wants us to be obedient to Him because He knows what's best, right? He knows what's better than what we think is best. Sometimes we think we know what's best, but we we are confused. So we're misaligned sometimes, and we need to be adjusted to God and His revelation of Himself. And so discipline orders your disorderly life. Your life gets disorderly sometimes. And so God introduces correction to order your disorderly life. Discipline helps us make sense of disruption. This is important like to think about because sometimes we just feel like life is a mess and we don't know why. But if we begin to think of it as how, how is God at work in this and we pray that way and we think that way, it helps us make sense of disruption. My life is disrupted. Is it for nothing? Well, the Bible says, no, it's not for nothing. There's a cause. There's a purpose. And it helps us to connect the dots to think of it as God correcting and training us because he loves us and that's his motive correction reminds us that we're wrong sometimes gasp nobody wants to be told they're wrong but correction when God corrects us he's reminding you that you are wrong sometimes that's such a healthy way to perceive yourself right your married your marriage partner agrees with that statement but it's a healthy way for you to perceive yourself sometimes that you're wrong. We're wrong in our assumptions sometimes. Sometimes we think we know things that we don't really know. We think we know, but we don't know. We're wrong in pursuing what's outside of God's will. What did James say? He says, for the one that knows to do right but doesn't do it, to him it's sin. We know what we should do, but we're doing something else. So we're wrong because we're pursuing what's outside of God's will. 
we're wrong in thinking we're never wrong. <laughs> sometimes we need to wake up to the reality that everybody's wrong sometimes. We can be wrong in our attitude. My attitude stinks. We can be wrong in our perceptions about God. Sometimes we are. We think God is one way and he's a different way than we think. I've, I've shared before, you know, just kind of a revelation for me, thinking about how God feels about our pain and our suffering, how God feels about death by cancer, how God feels about inexplicable tornadoes wiping out communities. And to see that, you know, the reality is God feels the same way we do because God's better than we are. He feels the same way we do. His heart is full of empathy and compassion, and he never wished for any of that. He's benevolent. And sometimes we have the wrong perceptions about God, and we have sometimes wrong priorities in our life. Sometimes we're wrong. Our priorities, our commitments, what we're, what we're deciding to do, where we're deciding to go, how we're budgeting our time and energy and the things that we're committed to are not what God would want. So what does that mean? We're wrong, right? So sometimes we're wrong, and that's why God introduces correction, discipline. And defensiveness is a barrier to learning. If, you, if I could get anything into any of us, me included, it is that defensiveness is a barrier to learning. Somebody wants to tell me something helpful, and my hackles go up. I don't want to hear that. I want to do it my way. Such an unhealthy way to approach life, to be defensive, to put up, put up barriers, to instruction. Because there's just a lot we don't know. It doesn't matter how old we are. There's a lot you don't know. We're in a process of learning and growing throughout our whole life. And so the best possible thing that any of us could do would be to keep a learning posture. That's what it means to be a disciple. We learn. We're open. We're listening. But also we think about what correction you know, is teaching us. How do we benefit from it when we, we see it? what the scripture is trying to say. By remembering that correction is evidence of God's love and fathering. He fathers us. So, it's a, when we think about that, that's what the text says here. It says that whom, who, who, if you lack discipline or correction, it says it's a bad sign. Bad sign if you're not being corrected in your life because if you belong to God, he will correct you. You want to be corrected because it shows that you belong to God. He's fathering you. He's demonstrating his care in a way that hurts. And as we keep uh, open attitude, the scripture says submit to the Father of Spirit. Submit. Submission is a part of life and people who... Don't learn to function underneath it. Do not fare well. There may, you may meet somebody occasionally like Bill Gates, you know. But most of the rest of us are like, and even Bill Gates has to function under law, right? He can't just be an outlaw and do whatever he wants. All of us live in a healthy tension with 
the reality that we have to submit. We have to come under authority. The authority that employs us and signs our checks or the authority within our family system. All of us have to do that. The authority in your the, the church body that, of course, is Christ and, and then leaders that he gives under Christ. We function under authority. Submission is a part of life. And, again, you know, if I were, like, making a list. Of course, the Proverbs are cited in the first part of this passage. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 is where the you, you see it in some Scripture, it's italicized to show you, or gives you a reference, but it's, he's quoting Solomon and giving instruction. Well, if I could give instruction to anybody, I would say, you know, it took me a long time to figure out that, like, I was going to work in places. I'm not self-employed. I have worked, you know, for companies and stuff. For other people, you have to have a healthy relationship to the people you work for. They may be hard to work for. And in fact, I've worked for people that were very hard to work for. Still had to keep a healthy attitude toward them for my part. I couldn't help what was going on with them that made them that way. But we work and live in a world in which authority is a reality and God is over all of it. And so he's saying to represent me in this world, it's good for you to have humility. It's good for you to have the right kind of attitude in your situations. So he says, uh, submit to the Father of spirits. That's God. He made our spirit. He made our life. That's what it's trying to say. We benefit from correction by remembering that God knows best. Our parents were often doing the best that they knew how. It's It's easy to criticize your parents, isn't it? And some of our parents didn't do a great job. I think most of them were saying we did the best that we knew how. Maybe not always. But they did the best they knew how, and they still messed things up. Guess what? If you get to be a parent, if you're not a parent, but you get to be one, you're going to mess things up. You're going to have flaws, and you're not going to be a perfect parent. But you know who is a perfect parent? The, the Lord, God. He ha- His purposes for people are perfect. So it's why we should listen to him and live under his authority and be willing to be corrected. His design and ability are perfect. He's a perfect parent. We benefit from correction by warning what God wants. Receiving correction with understanding gives evidence of advanced spirituality. Do you want to know if you're a spiritually maturing person or not? The person who's spiritually maturing is that is that person who is trying to find what God is doing when life gets hard. Where are you in this? Not just thinking that, oh, you know, it went off the rails. There must not be a reason. God must have forgotten me. The Bible says not. what really is true is God is paying intense attention to you in those times. You think God quit paying attention to you, but the reality is he's paying close attention. Our circumstances are a place where God really can show up when they're hard. We benefit by recognizing the forms that correction takes. Hardship, difficult circumstances, testing and trials, anything adverse that God might use to make us more like Jesus. 
That's what this passage is talking about. Correction. Discipline. And then the passage also shows us that correction is helpful but requires a changed mindset. It's not the natural way that we think about difficult life challenges. To begin to understand, no, they are, they are purposeful. There's no growth without painful self-realization. This is something I'm noticing more and more as I advance in years. There is no growth without painful self-realization. In other words, there are times when I'm clear enough to see things about myself I'd rather not know. I'd rather not know that, but it's helpful for me to know because the only way I'm going to be better is to know it. And so growth comes when God shows us things about ourselves that are difficult to see and hear, but he's doing it for our good because he's a good father. That's how he is. Correction in that way of thinking is a reason for encouragement. God corrects us because he cares about us and he's not negligent. Difficult circumstances have spiritual meaning. They aren't wasted on us unless we refuse to be instructed by them. So since hardship is already going to happen, why not pray and say, God, where are you in this? That's a helpful behavior. Remembering God has a purpose in trials helps us not to lose heart when he rebukes us. That's what the scripture here says. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Rebuke tells you you're wrong. It says don't, don't quit then because God is just trying to make you better. He's trying to help you be the person that he created you to be. He's trying to open us up, not shut us down. Only poor parents don't correct their children, and God is not a poor parent. Being corrected gives evidence of our kinship to God. God only corrects his own children. Have you ever been out someplace and wanted to correct somebody else's child? But you knew that's ah, probably not a good place to go. I'm staying out of that, but I don't want to stay out of it. Well, God only corrects his own children. He doesn't correct those that don't belong to him. So if you have, by your own will, submitted to God, he will correct you because you are his child. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to, to become children of God. When you receive Christ, you belong to God. He is your father. So that's a, a conversation that we think through too. Do I belong to God? Have I received Christ? Have I surrendered to him? Have I acknowledged that the only path to God is through Jesus who died for me and rose again like we're going to look at closely on Easter? The reality of God's power over sin. and Have I interacted with that so that I didn't just assume I belonged to God but I was delivered and su surrendered to God? Because that's what all of this is, is about, is knowing him and him possessing you, you being his possession, because he purchased us by the blood of Jesus. He bought us. You were bought at a price. You remember seeing that in Corinthians? Don't you know that you're not, you don't belong to yourself? You were purchased. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God, it says in Scripture. He bought us. He paid for us. We belong to him. So that is a cause of relief and celebration when we think about, okay, difficulty is happening. God has a purpose for it. 
the fact that I'm going through this means that he, I belong to him. He, he made me his own. Correction helps us to share in God's holiness, this passage says. That we become partakers in his holiness when we, we are chastened and when we're corrected. And if that's not something we view favorably, we may have a problem at the heart of our Christian experience, is the way that Henry Blackby would put it. If we don't desire God's holiness, there's a problem at the heart of our Christian experience. Because whoever belongs to God, God's... You hear people say this, it's true. He's not interested in your happiness as much as he's interested in your holiness. If you get to be happy some, that's great. But he's more interested in your character and your holiness and the fact that you look like uh, God walking around. Let me give you this tidbit. Difficulty is difficult. I don't know if you noticed that or not. might want to write that down. But it's also temporary. doesn't last forever. And beneficial if we approach it with openness. Job had the right idea when Job first began to experience catastrophe in his life. Here's, this is what Job said. Shall we receive good from God and not trouble? Do we just take all the good, 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 but if difficulty happens, we were like, no, that can't be God. God wouldn't do me like that. Job's like, no, we should receive from God both good and trouble because they're both places that he shows up in our life. There's no path forward in your life that doesn't involve adversity. It's going to happen. When I thought about Jesus at the Pool of Bethesda, we were started picking up and watching episodes of The Chosen again. This was the last one that we watched. I was interested to see how they dealt with uh, the, this person who was crippled. And you remember the story how that he's at the Pool of Bethesda, and uh, they, their belief was an angel would show up and stir the water. Whoever got in the water first would be healed, and he could never get in the water first, this person in the story. And Jesus comes to him there, and he asks him this question, do you want to be made well? I always thought about that question, what's in that question. Do you want to be healed? Doesn't it seem like a very obvious question? Like, of course I want to be healed. But we think about the changes that follow in that person's life. You know, his life has been one way. Being healed makes us responsible then. I'm assuming that this person had to go find a job, you know, after he was healed. Because now he can't. You know, before he probably lived on uh, begging and handouts and everything. But to be healed means to be responsible. And so Jesus says, do you want to be made well? If you want to be made well, then out here is responsibility to walk in. And I think that's part of that. I could be wrong. But Jesus is inviting him into a world of hope and responsibility. Hope and responsibility. So we see that in correction, it's helpful, but it requires a changed mindset. And then also there are incorrect ways to think about correction and helpful ways that we will talk about. What are the incorrect ways? It talks about it right off in this passage. We could treat it lightly. We can chafe against it. We can be like, no, I don't want any part of it. We can shrug it off as inconsequential. It's a wrong way to think about it. We can underestimate its benefit. We can refuse to be instructed by it. 
and the difficult things happen, and we just don't, you know, we don't allow it to train us, which is God's intent. We can allow discouragement to cancel out the good that God is doing. We can get so discouraged that we think there's no good in this, which, of course, is not God's intent. His intent is to train and to cause us to become different when we're experiencing hardship. We could chalk it up to bad luck. Man, I'm so unlucky. Bad things just happen to me all the time. That's to view it as not having meaning. We can view God as mean and vindictive. We can consider it our birthright to have a problem-free life. I think sometimes people think like that. I'm American. You know, why do I have problems? Because people have problems everywhere, always. It's not our birthright. We can become impatient with God and his timing. We can continue repeating the same mistakes, thus inviting more intense correction. That's why the passage says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and then it uses a different word, scourging. Scourges every son whom he receives. Scourging is different than chastening. It's more intense. Like people say, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Have you heard that? Yeah, if we want to keep doing the same thing without any course correction, it, the, the correction when it comes next time may be more intense because that's what it took. But God's discipline is always good for us. To be corrected by God is to belong to God, the passage says, of which we are all partakers. The potter needs the clay needs it, works it with his hands. He applies pressure to shape it until it appears as he wants. That's what God does. You're the clay, by the way, in that scenario. You're the one that his his hands are on to apply pressure to mold and to shape and to form. Me too. Would you prefer an irresponsible God is the way that one person paraphrases this. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? No, of course not. We want a responsible God. A helpful way to think about correction is playing the tape forward. What happens if I persevere in this in the way that God intends? When you play the tape forward, it says that the outcome is the fruitable, uh, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's what we get as a reward is the sense of what life is like when we are obedient. That feels much better, is much better than what life is like when we're in our own devices and doing things our own way without respect to God. The passage here ends in verses 12 through 13, returning to the race analogy. If you remember, uh, the first part of chapter 12 says that it likens this life to run in a race. It's a journey. It's a trek that we're on, and we're pilgrims, and we're just passing through. But some people have allowed hardship to sideline them. That's the picture here. It says their arms have become atrophied. Their knees have become weak because they've just sat down and quit. That's the picture it gives there. They became sedentary. Trouble became so severe in their understanding that they said, I'm just going to sit down here and quit now. I'm not going to keep moving forward. 
And I, I like the image that it gives us in this passage because it goes right back to community. The context is clearly saying community is where people get help. Strengthen the arms that hang down and the weak knees. You all, I think is what it's saying, help each other. Sometimes people get deeply discouraged. They don't understand what's happening. Help each other, it says. Live out the identity that I gave you in being a part of this family of believers. I think God would be saying to us, with each other, for each other, to each other. So in fellowship, we actively work to make it easier for each other to run the course without stumbling. I think that's where that passage comes down. I saw this quote uh, from a writer named George MacDonald, and I like a lot what he says here, and I think it goes well with the last two verses in this passage that we've read. George MacDonald says, I say then that every one of us is something that the other is not, and therefore knows something. It may be without knowing that he knows it, which no one else knows, and that is... And that is everyone's business as one of the kingdom of light and inheritor in it all to give his portion to the rest. For we are one family with God at the head and the heart of it. And Jesus Christ, our elder brother, teaching us of the Father whom he alone knows. I like that so much. It's the idea of fellowship. In the Bible, koinonia, fellowship. The idea that God brings people together in community. That you're a family if you belong to one another here. You're a family. And God is at the heart of it all. But there, I like how it talks about the fact that each of us is something, knows something that the other is not. You are something. You know something. Your experience has brought something to you that somebody else doesn't have, doesn't know. And yet we share all of it with each other. We share it. It's what we have in common. And, and we belong to each other. And so consequently, whatever it is, I'm not, not only do I have it, I have a right to share it, to bring it to bear on what other people need. And so a big part, I think, of what this passage is trying to say to us is that we just need to be aware of what it is that God is doing through the problematic parts of life. God plants us in community to help each other, Life will bring you a certain amount of difficulty. It may not be what you want, but it's what you're going to get. It is what you will get. That life is going to bring us difficulty. And it can be spiritually meaningful if we cooperate with God whose purpose is to produce through it competent disciples. Training. Competency. More than that, but definitely that. God wants us to be competent as followers of Jesus so that people are helped by our lives and how we are with each other. His purpose is to forge and form us in his own character and to mold holiness and righteousness and peace into our experience. And that all begins at the cross. We get in on this as unfun as it kind of sounds it doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily sound like something we want in on but you do want in on it because it's the way God makes life work and makes sense and we get in on it through the cross of Christ the one who came and paid our debt and it begins with belonging to God through Jesus I want to pray for us and then we'll have a time of commitment as our musicians come 
And it may be that as you listen, there's a way that God is showing you your life needs to be corrected in obedience to him, adjusted, aligned. And so this is an opportunity for you to think meaningfully about that. I'll be happy to pray with you. It may be that as you've listened, a need that you have in your life is to publicly follow Christ. And so one thing we do and hope to do with regularity is to fill up the baptistry with cold water right now, fairly cold. So you have to be brave uh, in more ways than one to be baptized. But we will baptize believers as followers of Christ here as a step of their obedience to him. And so it may be that as you've listened, you're like, that's the need in my life. I recognize that Christ died to forgive me. And now as I follow him, a part of my obedience is to be baptized as a believer in Jesus. And so whatever the need is, if uh, you need prayer during this time, would you stand with me now? And uh, in just a moment, we'll invite you to respond as God leads. God, we're thankful for you, your fathering. God, that you love us and you father us and you uh, are always up to good things, even when it doesn't feel good. So I pray that you'll use the difficulty in our life to open our eyes and open our hearts, God, and to cause us to flourish in just the ways you intend. And we commit ourselves to you in Christ's name.